the practice of vipassana meditation is a a path it's best thought of as a a voyage or a journey or a means by which to attain uh, attain something This is important. Sometimes we think of meditation as a hobby or a pastime. And this is not correct. Meditation is a means of training the mind. Um, parallel to uh, a similar sort of training that might be undertaken with the body in the hopes of attaining fortitude of, of our physical form. So in meditation practice we're practicing to, we're training ourselves to attain fortitude of mind, strength of mind. And not only that, but unlike the body, we consider that the mind is something that actually undergoes changes when it's trained. Unlike the body, where no matter how hard we train it, in the end it has to return to its ordinary state uh, and eventually falls apart and dies. With the mind, we consider it much more like, um, say, a, a precious metal, where as you work with it, as you uh, fire it up, as you purify it, as you work out all of the impurities, it becomes pure. It comes to a state of perfection from which it doesn't re uh, recede or fall away from. So we say not only does the mind become well trained, it becomes pure. And the main reason why it becomes pure as opposed to just becoming strong uh, is, is the difference between vipassana meditation or insight meditation and say a tranquility meditation which might make the mind very strong but making the mind strong is a lot like making the body strong it only lasts for some time and eventually it, uh, it recedes based on our whether or not we continue to put out effort And Vipassana meditation is something quite different. It's um, because it mainly deals with insight or wisdom, or knowledge and understanding as opposed to simple strength and brute force that one can uh, attain through other types of meditation. We're looking for some understanding which then becomes a barrier to ignorance and to um, defilement because of course the only reason why one might enter into a state of mind that was unwholesome unskillful unhelpful would be because one has misunderstanding or ignorance as to the unskillful unwholesome nature of that mind state 
And clearly one would never intentionally uh, do something to hurt oneself if one knew fully well that it was going to bring suffering. We always do things with the intention that uh, they should bring us happiness. This maybe isn't so clear. I mean, if we haven't practiced meditation, this might not be as clear as once we've started to practice and started to watch and to understand how the mind works, but actually it's true. Our intention is to bring us ourselves happiness, <coughs> even though we do so many things that bring us suffering. And once we have wisdom and understanding, we're able to see the difference, and we're able to see those things that really and truly are useless, bring about no positive benefit, bring about no positive result, and do away with them. So that when the opportunity to perform those acts arises, we um, we see no reason. We we're, we're unable to give rise to the uh, delusion that is required to enter into such a state because of the understanding that has arisen. So it's not a strength exactly. It comes from the training of the mind, but. Uh, once it arises, it's of a whole different quality from simple fortitude of mind. So what we're really talking about here is a path to, <coughs> to realization and understanding. And it's, uh, it's summed up by the expression of a path to purity. Because the ultimate goal of realization and understanding is that our minds be pure. Once we have understanding and wisdom, then our minds will never fall back into misunderstanding and delusion and greed and anger and so on. So it's important as meditators that we understand this and we understand sort of the path and we have an outline of the path that we're, we're following. This can be quite useful when we're uh, looking at the path or wondering uh, the sort of the direction in which, which we should be heading, whether we're uh, just starting out or whether we've gone some way down the path already. We, it's very important, it's very useful for us if we have some kind of idea of, of, of the path, some outline of the path. So we have this outline and um, it appears in the Tipitaka as a dialogue between Sariputta and uh, Punamantani Buddha, I think. Mantani Buddha. I forget exactly the name of the other monk. Uh, Punna, I think. Punna Mantani Buddha. Anyway, the point is they were talking about these seven stages of, of, of purification, and this became the, the uh, basis of the, the outline of this book, the Visuddhimagga, which became a very influential text and sort of the, the core treatise on, on understanding the Buddhist teaching and putting it all together in an in a understandable and uh, cohesive path. And so, so here I'd like to just talk a little bit about these seven purifications in, in the order that they go, and this is sort of as a for, inform for informational purposes, but also to sort of gauge where we are and where we should be going next. So the first purification is the purification of morality. And this is, of course, the base of 
<coughs> of the practice, the base of, base of the path, the start of the path, the first thing that one should do is to purify one's morality. Uh, at least making a determination that as we practice this path, we're going to stay away from various um, extremely unwholesome states. We're going to refrain from these states. These are things which are extremely e extreme unwholesomeness and sort of counter counter to the entire path. They're the opposite of the, the, the whole path. The performance of these acts is uh, in going in the opposite direction of where we should be heading. And so, so this is why there is imperative that we give these things up. This is killing, stealing, uh, cheating, lying, taking drugs and alcohol. If we can't keep at least these five rules, then there's no um, there's no real chance that we're going to be able to develop ourselves effectively, since these things pervert and, and destroy and corrupt the mind. They create states of um, greed and anger and delusion, which are um, are total total obstruction to the development of the mind. And so for this reason we have to give these up. And as meditators we generally don't have a big problem with these once we understand them and once we start practicing. We also take rules like not eating in the afternoons, only, only eating once a day, uh, only eating en enough to survive, not um, indulging in entertainment or cosmetics or decoration, and not sleeping on luxurious bedding or sleeping long hours. But as a base, we understand that immoral acts are something that we have to uh, do away with before we start to practice. This is the first purification. This is sort of prelim preliminary. Once we start to do that, then we re we we're able to approach the path, which is uh, concentration, the purification of of mind. It's called P purification of of mind states, because the mind is what we're going to be using to look at the mind, to look at the body, and to look at the mind. So this is like cleaning the tool or, or um, sharpening the tool that we're going to be using. This is the very beginning of the practice before any insight arises. The next step is for us to start to do walking meditation, start to do sitting meditation, and start to really approach the phenomena that arise in the present moment and focus on them. So we use this mantra, this tool that we have and so the second purification is simply training ourselves to be um, proficient in using this mantra, using this meditation practice. So watching the stomach rising, falling. As we're able to focus on reality, focus on the objects as they arise, uh, this, our mind becomes sharper and, and clearer. And this is called the purification of, of mind. What it means is that we don't have many um, contrary states that, that might obstruct our practice. So all of the states associated with, with, with evil acts or bad acts um, come into play here and, then, and we're trying to do away with them. When we first sit down, sometimes we have greed, so we want this or want that or we like this or like that and it distracts us from the purpose. Or we have anger or, or sadness or depression or frustration or boredom any of the many negative emotions. 
and this is also a, a distraction or an obstruction to the path. Sometimes we feel we feel drowsy or lazy when our minds are not are unwieldy, and this becomes an obstruction. Or we have distract we're distracted, our minds are not focused, and we're thinking about so many different things, thinking about the past, the future, thinking about far and away useless things. Our mind is not yet focused. And the last one is we have doubt. We have these. We have doubts about the practice, doubts about ourselves, and um, unsureties, uncertainties in the mind. As we start to practice, our practice in the beginning is simply doing away with these things. So when we acknowledge, even even directly acknowledging them, we're saying to ourselves, liking, liking, disliking, disliking, angry, drowsy, distracted, worry, uh, doubt, doubting, worried, or so on. When we do this, we're we're focusing the mind. We're teaching the mind how to focus on on objects as opposed to how to um, make more of things than they are, or proliferate, turn small things into big things, or or, or um, get into these loops where we um, interpret. We're getting away from interpreting things to actually understanding them. And all of these things are, of course, interpretations of liking or disliking and so on. So we're getting away from that and we're building up a, 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 this focus that will allow us to see things simply as they are, see things clearly as they are, see how our mind works. Uh, I had an argument some time ago with some materialists, who were, and I, my argument basically started off and ended with um, the idea that meditation could be a scientific inquiry which of course was totally unacceptable to them and sort of ended the conversation right then and there. But that's actually what meditation is and it's scientific in that we can really understand how the mind works and no matter what anyone else tells you, once you've practiced meditation, you know for yourself that that's how the mind works. And the great thing is if anyone else comes and does the same practice, they will say the same thing if they're honest and sincere about the, their practice they too will obtain the same results. They'll be able to say that this is how the mind works. And it's, it's very clear. It's not something where you could say, well, maybe you're deluding yourself, or maybe you're, it's an illusion, or so on. It really is how the mind works. It, it's how reality works. And it's much more real than anything that we could ever test externally from our, external to ourselves. So it is really a scientific inquiry. It allows us to um, give rise to um, knowledge, which is of course what it means, what science means. We're able to, un to know things, verifiably know things. And so this is, this is what, why we're doing this practice. This is what we're hoping to gain from our focus and our concentration on, say, the rising and the falling of the abdomen. We're going to slowly look at who and what we are. So this leads to a whole slew of knowledges that come um, in succession. There's altogether 16 knowledges, and they're broken up into the purifications. I won't go into the knowledges, just basically going over the purifications here, but the rest of them are involved with wisdom and understanding. First of all, we gain right view. When meditators come to do reporting sessions, so apart from our group session, then we have the daily one-on-one -on -one group session. 
um, this is a time where we'll have a chance to, to assess a person's view, a person's understanding, the way they look at the world, their outlook on life, on reality. And we'll, able to see, we'll be able to see whether uh, that outlook is in line with reality, is in line with their experience. Are they actually experiencing anything or are they just going by view? So this is the sort of the gateway to wisdom is this movement away from views that we've been told or we've, we've accepted based on faith or based on uh, hearsay, based on our teachers or so on, to an experiential view of reality where we, uh, we understand reality based on our experience, based on um, the way it actually appears, the way it actually works. And so our, our view will not be counter to what is actually being experienced. They won't conflict. Uh, this, this is a very basic one, and it's one that has to be tested. We're actually testing people, because if, if they can't get this one, then uh, there's no chance that they can continue on with the other ones. Once we get the view, our view straight, and we actually are getting into this experiential view of reality, then we can start to come, come to understand experience. We can understand how our mind works and come to work a lot of, a lot of un unwholesome things out. So the next one is, is our understanding of karma. The next one is a purification by overcoming doubt. And here it's doubt in regards to cause and effect. What is, um, what is a cause for what and what is the effect of what? What is the cause of, good, of happiness and what is the cause of suffering? This is the first and most important wisdom that we start to gain after our view is, after we start to see things correctly. And then we start to look and, and, and really come to understand the phenomena that arise and cease in, in the present moment. And the first thing we realize is that when you have an unwholesome mind state, it leads to suffering. When you have a wholesome mind state, it leads to happiness. So we start to see how, how the, not only that, but we see how the, the whole body and mind system works based on cause and effect. Everything we do is cause and effect. Um, we want to stand up, then we stand up. The wanting comes first, and we can see that that's totally separate from the actual standing up. Yeah, separate in the sense that, that it, is a, it is an entity in and of its own, which then gives rise to the effect of standing up. Sometimes when we walk, then once we've already walked or once we've already done something, then we see the we we realize it, and so we see that the the realizing is the effect, and the movement is the cause. It, it works in both ways. Sometimes the body is the cause. Sometimes the mind is the cause. But we see this, and we see more importantly what are good and bad causes uh, for good and bad results, for um, pro uh, beneficial, useful uh, results. Once we start to gain, once we start to understand in this way, this is when the mind starts to change, and this is when we start to realize um, that we really had a great, grave misunderstanding, and that our minds are really, as a result, in a great turmoil. And so we start to see um, that that this is this is why we're doing what we're doing. We start to gain this great faith uh, in what we're doing, and this is to. Um, to really make a profound change on our minds. Up until this point, we may have thought that meditation was just going to show us things that we already knew, and at this point, we start to see things that we didn't already know. And so the next one is to see what is the path and what is not the path, because at this point, we start to see that there, 
there is actually something that needs to be done and so we start to move towards uh, an enlightenment move towards a, 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 a state which is totally unlike the state that we're in because we see that the state that we're in is really a mess it's all jumbled up and there's all sorts of defilements that are uh, or unwholesome states that are sort of running the show so at this point um, as we start we, this point we start to make a, make a, a real determination to set out on the path and this is where we start to separate what is the right path from what is the wrong path as we start to practice in earnest we're going to start to give rise to all sorts of um, all sorts of potential paths because there will be all sorts of altered experiences arising which we might say okay well that's the altered state that I'm looking for that's the new that's enlightenment there are some people will see bright lights some people will hear sounds some people experience great peace and tranquility that they've never felt before some people have great states of bliss some people have 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 states bodily states of, of rapture elation or or static charge in their bodies uh, some, some people have have profound insights into worldly things or into Buddhism or into meditation or so on. Some people have great energy arise. There are many different types, types of states like this which are all taken by the meditators at this point to be the path. And without a teacher to explain what is the right path or to remind the meditators of what is the right path, uh, it's it's incredibly common it, it's it's the greater likelihood is that uh, a meditator at this point will become stuck because they will go down the wrong path a path that is just a dead end and leads nowhere following after lights or colors or pictures that they see following after special experiences of any kind and not being objective not seeing things as they are so the path of course is is simply seeing things as they are and this is where the, with the meditator uh, learns in as they progress on that they come to this realization this understanding eventually from through a long time or or even a quick time if the teacher is able to catch them and to explain to them clearly they're able to understand what is the right path and they're able to continue on so this is the next purification that's that, that comes next in line and this is a, a very important part of the path after one understands what is the right path this is the fifth purification or sorry the uh, the fourth, the fifth purification. That's right. The fifth purification. After that, then it's it's pretty much smooth going. You could say that once the meditator gets this understanding of what is the path and what is the not the path, then it's pretty clear that they're just going to sail through the rest of the of the course and the rest of the path. That from that point on, they're on the right path. Just like a. Um, like the, these curling stones when they throw the curling stone out on the ice I'm from Canada we have curling as a sport when or bowling you could say when from the beginning you have to aim the ball but once you let it go then it just goes either straight or, or, or crooked but once you get the get it rolling in the right direction then it's in a groove and it, it, mostly people are able to continue on and, and realize the, the freedom from, from defilements of it or realize the purity and, and understanding 
So the next purification is simply the purification of practice. Once one is on the right path and is, is un, has this understanding not to go down these wrong paths, then it's just a matter of continuing to practice and not uh, giving up, not going home, not slacking off. Um, because at this point, you know what, we know what the practice is, we know where we're going, and all we have to do is just continue on. So at this point, many knowledges will arise and they come in succession slowly, basically slowing, slowly coming to see that um, whatever it was that we were holding on to, and for everyone this is different, all of the many things that we grasp and we cling to and we wish for and we seek out, slowly coming to realize that these things are actually um, void of any, any lasting satisfaction or lasting peace or happiness, that they're actually a real cause for suffering and stress for us as we seek them out. Uh, and can be a cause for, for true and lasting uh, displeasure and, and sadness and sorrow and, and, uh, and suffering. And once we start to realize, realize this, then the mind really starts to become lifted out of this, uh, this situation. So this is, this is just a description of, of, of the everyday practice. And this is what we're going through through this practice. We start with the walking, continue with the sitting, walking and sitting, walking and sitting. And we start to see that you know, even our own bodies, all of the thoughts that we have, all of the things that make us happy, all of the things that we cling to, just coming to see them for what they are and see that there's really nothing special about them. There's nothing special about the good things. There's nothing wrong with the bad things. And we start to see that everything that arises is just a thing. These are just things, just phenomena that arise and cease. And we generally um, explain this as being the understanding of three things, impermanence, that the things that we thought were permanent and lasting, or the things that we didn't realize were going to just disappear, the realization that they do disappear. So whether it be good things or bad things. So when bad things arise, we get angry, not realizing that it's just something that's come for a short while and it's going to go away. And with good things, not realizing that we can't hold on to them, we can't cling to them. Uh, number two, realizing suffering, uh, that the things that we thought were happiness are actually, in fact, a cause for stress and suffering when they disappear, when we don't get them, and so on. Uh, and the bad things are suffering only when we cling to them, realizing that the suffering is because we need for it to be other than it is. And when it can't be that way, then we suffer. And number three, realizing non-self, or uh, uncontrollability of the phenomenon, that all things that arise, they come and go of their own uh, nature. And there's no master, there's no person or no ego sitting up there saying, let it be this, let it not be this, let it be this, let it not be this. That sure, the mind can be a cause for, for whatever effect we might wish for. If we wish for something and we put out the right causes, then yes, surely it can come. But there is no master in control. It's not, we're not then in control of what, what arises, saying that we can keep it forever and it's going to suddenly be ours. So not to say that there is no self, it's to say that there is, um, there's no master. We are not in control of the things that arise. There is a self in the sense of, of being a cause, the mind being a cause for the next sequence of events and going in step, step by step to the realization of what, whatever goals one might have.
<coughs> but there is no self in the sense of being a master of the phenomenon that phenomena that arise. And this goes on and on and on in, in great detail as our mind uh, becomes more and more sensitive and more and more tuned into reality. We find ourselves giving up and letting go and, and freeing ourselves from these addictions and attachments and aversions that we've clung to for so long, that we've kept inside for so long. Until finally we reach the seventh purification, which is really the goal of what we're looking for is this um, realization. It's not exactly the goal, but it's the final purification. It's the one that leads to the goal. Uh, the purification of, of knowledge and vision. That's what it's called. It means specifically knowledge and vision of the truth. Of the Four Noble Truths, you could say, or simply of, of reality. Finally getting it and realizing what things for what they are. Just giving up this old way of looking at things and suddenly, in kind of like an epiphany, just realizing that there's nothing worth clinging to. That this, this idea of clinging, of seeking out, is not, not the proper way to live one's life, is not the proper way to approach reality and giving up. And so this is the entering into freedom from suffering. When the mind enters into nirvana or enters into this state of peaceful cessation where there is no arising of, of suffering and the subsequent, subsequent understanding that, of, of what is the right and what is the wrong, what is useful and what is useless of what is real happiness and what is fake happiness. So we're really aiming for this high state of understanding, because once this understanding comes about, um, then we can, we can say that we will, we will have no suffering either now or in the future. Whatever unpleasant phenomena arise, uh, they will not be able to bring about states of suffering in our mind or distress in our mind. And this comes about, as you can see, it comes about through a, a path or a training. And the training, it's not necessary to memorize these, uh, these stages, but a clear understanding of them that slowly, slowly we're going to come to change our way of looking at things. That we're going to open up our minds and we're not going to be so rigid or dogmatic or, or, or clingy to views or, or uh, to ourselves or to objects of, of pleasure and displeasure. We'll be able to see things objectively through an un, a, um, a lens of understanding that wasn't there before. That we'll be able to see things simply for what they are, which really most of us can't do in our everyday life, that we see things through colored lenses, um, either as good or as bad. We judge things based on our views and our beliefs and so on. We don't judge things based on what they are. We don't see things for what they are. So this is something that is, I think, quite useful for meditators to understand. and kind of gives us a picture of where we're going and hopefully gives us encouragement to continue on to this, in this most useful task, this most uh, beneficial result that we're all aiming for and striving for. So that's the Dhamma that I wish to give tonight. And now we'll continue on with the meditation portion starting with mindful prostration and then walking and then sitting. <coughs>